What a beautiful morning today is. The weather is perfect out here, and God has so much in store for us. Um, I just wanted to preface before Jeanette comes back up here. I felt like the Lord really wanted me to tell you this this morning um, and remind you that, you know, when we prayed about the theme and the Lord led us to authentic faith, we knew Romans 12, like this is going to be challenging. Like there's a lot in here that's a part of us taking action and really like looking at our lives and, and how we're living it and is our faith authentic and you know what, but we want to be challenged, right? I know I want to grow. I know you want to grow. We, we want to be molded and transformed. We want to please God, but I want to remind you that the foundation for today was laid last night by Jeanette, and that foundation is the love of God, and that song we sang right now was perfect. Lord, let our lives be built on the foundation of your love, and it starts there, and I'm telling you this because I feel like maybe it's just for a word for me, I don't know, but hopefully for you too, but if you're like me, when you know the exhortations come and the challenges, we can feel like, oh, I'm failing in this area, and I'm failing in that area, and, and kind of go that direction. I just feel like the Lord's telling us, don't do that. Like, be encouraged, because it's his work in us. Remember Philippians 2, it says it's it's, well, let me get it right so I don't mess up. <laughs> for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He's the one doing it because he's in us and we're in him and we need to be excited about that. And just the, our part, it's always us choosing. It's us yielding to the work of the spirit. We can, we can hinder him. We can make it way longer than it should be in areas of our life, amen, where we're just like, eh, I don't want to go there. But it's just the Lord just wants to lavish you with love this morning. And as Jeanette comes forth and we continue through um, some exhortations of what authentic faith should look like, keep that love of God as your foundation, amen? Amen. I appreciate that word, Denise. Um, I was at a retreat one year, and... Um, after they had their leadership meeting, is how the retreat all went and everything, and the ladies wanted the mean one to come back. And that was me. <laughs> I know. It broke my heart. I never want to come across as mean. I am so passionate about the things of God because he has taught me so much. There is so much junk in my life that God has had to filter out and strip me of, and it is his love that has always been that foundation for my life. So I hope I don't come across mean, um, but if the Holy Spirit is being mean, it's in love. <laughs> and before I get started this morning, I, I want to um, just kind of fill in little gaps. Last night, um, when I was talking about Josiah and Israel... We took him to Israel. He, his mom and dad, um, they, they were raised in the church. They moved away, and then um, they quit following the Lord. So in the very young stages of Josiah and the rest of my, grand, my granddaughter's lives, um, they didn't really see their mama or their papa following hard after Christ like they were at one time. And because of that, the marriage fell apart. It was just, it was just a mess. Um, so... Uh, we decided, because I knew he knows the word, he used to go to sleep every night listening to Fernanda, Fernando, thank you, yes, it's going to be a good morning, um, Fernando Ortega, so he knows the, the words, the scriptures are buried in his heart. Anyway, 
I thought, you know what, Lord, if we can take him to Israel, he'll be reignited for you. He's going to see things they are just going to blow his mind. And I was just so excited, but he didn't. But God is still working. So that's the reason we went to Israel. That's the reason he's not walking. He saw hypocrisy firsthand is what he told us. And, um, but God is working. Because circumstances now, he had to move back into his mom's house. And she is so on fire for the Lord. Has asked him for forgiveness. And so, yeah, God is moving and I'm excited. So that's Josiah. And he's 23. And he's a little cutie. But I want him saved. I want him saved. So, <clears throat> okay, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just are in awe of who you are. The worship this morning, Father, is so precious, Lord, as we see who you are and who we are because of your love. Father, may we truly surrender our lives to you. May we really, really give us, give you everything that is of us, Father, that you can do as you will in our lives. Father, teach us, show us, and encourage us as we continue on in this powerful, powerful chapter of Romans chapter 12. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I like to be exhorted. I like to be challenged. And one of my favorite devotional books right now is um, Paul David Tripp. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) New Morning Mercies. If you haven't read that book, that book is amazing um, because I think that's how God made me. He needs to just hit me over the head with truth so it rivets me. So this morning, or this was April 12th, but I want to read it to you. It's going to start off a little sarcastic, but that is not his heart at all, okay? So, if God is your Father, the Son is your Savior, and the Spirit is your indwelling Helper, You have hope no matter what you're facing. Who in the world do you think you are? I'm serious. Who do you think you are? You and I are always assigning to ourselves some kind of identity. And the things that you and I do are shaped by that identity that we have given ourselves. So it's important to acknowledge that God has not just forgiven you, and that is a wonderful thing, but he has also given you a brand new identity. If you're God's child, you are now a son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are in the family of the Savior who is your friend and brother. You are the temple where the Spirit of God now lives. Yes, it's really true. You've been given a radically new identity. The problem, sadly, is that many of us live in a constant or at least a rather rather regular state of identity amnesia. We forget who we are. And when we do, we begin to give way to doubt, fear, and timidity. Identity amnesia makes you feel poor when, in fact, you are truly very rich. It makes you feel foolish when, in fact, you are in a personal relationship with the one who is wisdom. It makes you feel unable when, in fact, you have been blessed with strength. It makes you feel alone when, in fact, since the spirit lives inside of you, it is impossible for you to be alone. You feel unloved when, in fact, as a child of the Heavenly Father, you have been graced with eternal love. You feel like you don't measure up when, in fact, the Savior measured you, measured up on your behalf. Identity amnesia sucks the life out of your Christianity in the right here, right now moment in which we all live. If you've forgotten who you are in Christ, what are you left with? You're left with Christless Christianity which is a little more than a system of theology and rules. 
And you know that if that is all you needed, theology and rules, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. All God would have needed to do was drop the Bible down on you and walk away. But he didn't walk away. He invaded your life. He invaded your life as father, savior, and helper. By grace, he made you a part of his family. By grace, he made you the place where he lives. And he did all of this so that you not only would receive his forgiveness, but so that you would have everything you need for life and godliness. So if you're his child, ward off the fear that knocks on your door by remembering who God is and who you've become as his chosen child. Just don't celebrate his grace. Let it reshape the way you live today and all of the tomorrows that follow. Amen? Amen. Amen. Encourage you, get his book. It's amazing. Or you can put it on Kindle or whatever, but it's, it's, a, it's a challenge most mornings for me, and I, I love it. So I pray that we would embrace who we are in Christ, the work that he has done in each one of our lives, again, so we can offer our lives back to him and we can bring him glory and honor. I want to ask you real quick, and you can just shout out, what are the three things that Paul told us last night in Romans 12, 1 and 2? First thing, living sacrifice. Second, don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to the world. And the third, oh, third, be transformed. How? By renewing of your mind. Great. And many of us know that scripture. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a very popular scripture. A lot of people say it. A lot of people have it on their walls. But they stop there. And they don't go on to verses 3 forward. And this is what Paul wants us to see this morning. <clears throat> and I'm reading from the New International Version. And Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by the grace given me, and this is Paul speaking, I say to every one of you, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, If your gift is prophesying, prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So now Paul continues on to say, you've been transformed. Don't forget that. And because of that transformation, now it's going to continue to affect how you serve God and how you serve the body that he has placed you in. He's giving us a warning, though, to walk in humility, not only in our own hearts, but towards one another. I love that God places us and uses us, his people, in the local church, that he wants us to help one another with the gifts that he has blessed us with. That's why I believe it is so important for us to stay in the church that God has called you in. Not to go to the newest and greatest happening thing that's going on down the street. Not to be where your friend is, which is, that's always wonderful. Or even where your family is. I hated it when my kids left our church to when they moved away. I wanted them with me, but that's not where God had them. We have to realize that God places you in the church 
to use you in the church with the gifts that he has given you for that church. That's something that Paul wants us to get into our hearts and our heads. He desires to use us to bless the the local fellowship, and then he gives us those gifts so we can do the things that he wants us to do. Again, sweet sisters, it's all God's work. I mean, he saved us. He set us apart. He's transforming us. He's renewing our minds as we stay in his word. And then he gifts us to use those gifts to benefit the body. It's all him. If we would just submit and let him do what he wants us to do, how glorious the church would be. If we just think about this. On Easter Sunday, I was watching a, um, a church that was jam-packed, crowded with people. And the pastor did not share the truth of the gospel. And the people are, the worship was amazing, but the people are, oh, lifting their hands and they're thrilled and this place is just jam-packed. And I'm thinking, Father, if just a handful of those people, if us, if we would really get serious in our walks with you, how transforming would this world really be? Instead of hearing fluff or, or just getting enough of Jesus so we don't go to hell, like I used to think, that if we would really be serious in our walk and use the gifts that God has given us in the local body to help one another, to be that functioning body that he desires for us to be. I have heard too many stories of people leaving churches that they loved. They were plugged in. They were being used. They were faithful. They loved their pastor and the people there. But They decided to go to a place for a better job, which isn't necessarily bad, or for a bigger home, or for a better car, or a better whatever, only to hear later on down the line that they've lost that passion and zeal for love for Christ. And I wonder what happened. You told me that God had sent you out. Well, if God truly sent you out, you would still be on fire for him, being used up by him in the local body. But what happens when they, sometimes when people move away from a church where they're accountable to, uh, I'm going to float for a while. I'll just kick my legs up and, you know, I've, I've already put in my time. That's not what our heart is to be like. God's transforming power has transformed us so we're able to minister to the body. That is what we're supposed to be about. So um, I believe we can have a heart to think that um, what can our church do for us? instead of what can I do for the church? How many of us have had to deal with our own pride? When we go into a church, we sit down and we evaluate. Hmm, how many greeters said hello to me? Hmm, worship wasn't on the right tune today, or, oh, I don't like that song, or, oh, they do it different, or, or whatever it is. You know, or nobody sat here, or nobody did this, or nobody did that. Well, what about you? You know, how are you coming into the church? Sometimes we can come in so pompous, and maybe we don't think it, but we're showing it with our person. We had a person leave our church. He decided to give us one more try because he had his favorite chair. So his friend called him and said, just come back. It's not about the chair. Come back. <laughs> okay. And this is, this is not a lie. He said, I, I won't lie to you. Um, but he said, okay, I'll give it one more try. So he comes in, and he comes down the hallway, And he looks into the side door where his chair is, and someone was sitting there. So he turned around, and he walked back out, and he has not been to our church since. Now, his family is still there and still very involved, but he has not been back. Really? Over a chair? But that's how petty we can become, isn't it? 
silly little things. We give room for the enemy to work, and before we know it, we're just crazy, crazy people. And that's not what God died for. So, pride. We need to deal with our own pride. We hate to see it in others, but can't we turn a blind eye on our own? And I'm going to tell you something. Pride looks the same on all of us. It is ugly. U-G-L-Y. Ugly. I don't care who we are. My husband told me, because I, I probably still am, but I'm a lot better than when we were first married, and we're going to be married 47 years in August. But um, I know, cool, huh? My high school honey man. Um, but um, I used to be really critical, because that's how I was raised, and that's what I knew, so that's what I did. And Randy said, you know what? You're critical, just like your mom. I am not. How dare you? You know, I, I am not critical. But you know what he said? You know what the underlining sin of being critical is? And I'm listening with a proudful heart, prideful heart, because it's pride. It is not. But you know what? It is. Pride is an underlining issue of so many things. Our arguing and complaining against one another or against the Lord? Pride. You get hurt by somebody, and you're not going to hurt me, so you put this wall up? Pride. You can't be corrected because I know everything. Pride. You know, we need to be so careful. Pride is ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly. And remember that God said that is one of the things that he hates. And I believe one of the reasons why he hates it so desperately is because our pride keeps us from him using us in the lives of one another. So pride, it's ugly. U-G-L-Y. It's easy to allow pride to get the best of us when we begin to listen to that little voice and hear him say, we deserve it, you're worth it, life is not fair, or any other popular little saying that we can play around in our heads. Romans 12.3 again says, Through the grace given unto me, this is Paul, to every man that is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to God, as he has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, if anybody had reason to be puffed up, it was Paul. He was the one that brought the message to the Gentiles. He was saved radically. He was used amazingly. Then he was remembering at this very moment that this is all God's grace. This is nothing that I've done. So how in the world can we be puffed up? And that's the same thing for us, ladies. We cannot puff ourselves up because we're so great in God's kingdom. Because that just disqualifies us. You know, it's so silly how how the enemy can get in there and twist things. But he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment. Maybe the Jews, as Paul was talking to them, saw themselves as really special because they were God's chosen people. And now they're really ticked off because now Paul is saying the Gentiles can now come in. And on the flip side, maybe the Gentiles are coming in and saying, ah, you thought you were all that, and now here we are. You know, we don't know, but pride is, is welling up in these people's hearts. But again, Paul says, a renewed mind sees everything differently. Plenty of people wish to become godly, but very few desire to become humble. Genuine humility takes place when we realize that God truly is the only one watching us. Do you know what the acronym for ego is? Edging God out. Yeah, so when you get an ego problem, know that you are the one edging God out. All genuine humility 
is an assault to the ego. To be humble, we have to admit our total dependence upon God, and we must accept the call that God has put the needs and the concerns of others before our own. And that means your family, too. Only those who are filled with God's spirit desires God's genuine humility. And you know what? The home is a great place for that humility to really be birthed. You know, to have to pick up your husband's socks who cannot put them in the hamper. You know, it's like, what is wrong? What is wrong? It's right here and the socks are right there. I don't get it. You know what? Humble yourself enough to pick them up and put them in the hamper. Instead of griping and complaining, pick them up. Don't smell them. But pray for him. And then drop them into the hamper. My daughter, who uh, Tracy, who's recently married, she married an amazing man who just cherishes her. God has just done so much in their life. I wish I could share their testimony. But um, he had a radical transformation, too. I mean, the enemy visited him and everything. But um, what am I going for? Uh, oh, he's, he's an amazing man. He's a go-getter. He loves her. He loves the family. Um, he was n- not a problem with Josiah moving back in. As a matter of fact, Hannah, their other daughter, has now moved back in. And their little one, the 19-year-old, is still at home. But just an amazing man of God. He has soaked up God's scriptures. The other day, he goes, oh, what you, Mom, what are you teaching on? I said, Romans 12. Oh, da 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 I'm going, Yeah. And he's a brand new believer, but he is eating up the truth of God's word. I'm so excited. He called my husband and said, Dad, I just want to come and sit at your feet. I want you to teach me everything you know about Jesus. And it's like, oh, we got a good one. Yay! I'm so thrilled. It's so amazing. But with all of his goodness, he has a couple of bad habits. So Tracy called me and said, Mom, da-da-da-da-da-da. And I said, sweetheart, remember who you are. Remember who God is and remember that God is working in Ian's life, too. I know, Mom. And you know what? He has so many good qualities. That little thing, I'm not going to even let it bother me. So a couple of weeks later, she goes, Mom, God's working in me. That stuff, I don't even care anymore. It was like leaving little crumbs in the kitchen or something that can make us crazy. You know, but who do we think we are? We think we make no messes? You know, it's, we're, we're crazy people sometimes. We really, we really are. But, so, others need to be put before us especially the ones that we live with, especially. You are teaching your family what it is to be a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to make dinner today, and I've got to clean the bathroom, and I've got to... You know, I mean, our kids don't come up and say, Mom, this is amazing. Look at the house. It's sparkling clean. This dinner is the best I've ever had. They don't do that. And they're going to realize when they're out, and have their own family, how many times they should have taken the time to say, Mom, this was amazing, because they're not going to get it from their kids either. (laughs) But we show them what it is to be a humble servant of the Lord as we minister to them, and we love all them, and we show them the love of Christ. Only those, again, who are filled with God's spirit desire genuine humility. John Flavel, a Puritan preacher, said, They that know God, they will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. Amen? Isn't it ironic that we can become prideful of the very gifts that God has blessed us with to bless others? J. Oswald Sanders said, It is very possible to be proud of the spiritual gifts God has entrusted to us and to strut about ostentatiously forgetting that we have nothing which we have not received. The grace, the grace is a gift 
an undeserved favor. Pride must radically be dealt with, and William Law wrote, Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Look not at pride only as an unbecoming temper, nor at humility only as a decent virtue, because one is hell and the other is heaven. One is hell and one is heaven. In our culture today, Christian celebrity is all the rage, a thing that certainly wasn't popular in Paul's day. I think it would be so hard for the Christian celebrities, and even even good Rob, he has a big church, you know, big churches that are around that are really faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ and faithfully giving out the word of God and administering their gifts to bless the body. It's hard to keep those things in check because you start to hear, that was a great message. Oh my gosh, your message just turned my life around. Yeah, it did. (laughs) And it's so hard because that little sliver of pride that gets in there, man, it can turn into a big old plank if we allow it to go unchecked. But we need to be just like the Apostle Peter said in Acts 3, when the people went up to him after he healed the lame, he and Paul, I think, healed the beggar. Um, And they went up and just giving them all the praise and all the glory, and Peter said, it's not us. Don't be giving us any praise or glory. You give all praise and honor and glory to the Lord. And that should be our hearts too, no matter what we're doing for the Lord. Whether we're the janitor at the church whether we are just changing babies' diapers um, during the service, we are needed in the local body of believers. And our job, whatever that, whatever gifting that God has given to us, is important for God. Um, in the previous verses, Paul just told us to continue in our spiritual transformation. And again, it begins with presenting our bodies and renewing our minds. And we need to keep going to, to verse 3 because he says, For this, and he's connecting the transformation, as your bodies and your minds are given to God, your whole life will be transformed that now you're going to be able to minister the way I've called you to minister. Your commitment to Christ is going to be the motivation to love and to serve your local body. Um, So humility is the recognition and the application of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing that Paul does is to call attention to his own dependence upon grace. In the use of his gift, he's saying, in chapter 1, I could have easily begun to think too highly of myself as an apostle, were it not for one thing, grace. All my calling, all my gifts, all my authority is the work, and only the work of God's grace in my life. I don't deserve it. I didn't muster it up because it's all a gift of God. We must continually remind ourselves of this simple truth. Our lives consist of God's grace. We have been reborn, transformed, remade into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace. We grow by grace. We're endowed by grace. We are what we are only by God's grace. So we need that sound judgment, that we don't become puffed up and think we're all that, that our egos don't get inflated and we we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we should. If we're not careful, we begin to think that the church is so blessed to be able to be graced by our presence. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, some of you have done that, huh? (laughs) Or even worse, we can think that when someone asks you to serve someplace, that that can be beneath you. I should be a teacher, and you want me to do what? You can get that just so easily. I could do what you do. 
Look how easy that is. You open the Bible and say, hey. <laughs> Honestly, you know, our, our, I told you we're crazy people. So to have sound judgment is to esteem the Lord Jesus Christ, not to esteem ourselves. That's sound. That's having a mind that is controlled by Christ. This life is not about me, and it's not about you. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this life is about our Savior and what he can do in your life as a woman who has surrendered herself to him to bless your family, those around you in the workplace, at school, and in your local church. So we need to humble ourselves so God doesn't do it for us. I remember I was asked one time to teach at um, Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, and just like right now we're sitting in the front, Sharon and I are sitting there, and so I had to go to the bathroom, and I went to the bathroom because I wanted to make sure there's nothing in my teeth or nothing in my nose, you know, so if you talk to somebody, it's like, oh. <laughs> but So I come out of the bathroom and walking down the long hallway with my skirt stuck in here. <laughs> Okay, now I want to tell you something. There was one sweet sister that came running after me to fix this. And I'm thinking, how embarrassing. And the Lord said, yes, sweetheart. I want you to see that this is not about you. You're going to start to get puffed up at all? Remind you right now that you are a little doofus that needs a lot of help. (laughs) But I'm thinking, after I thought about that sweet little lady, a little girl, well, she was a... 20s, but helping me out, running after me, coming down the, the aisle, I thought, what about everybody else? You know, what are, what are they all doing? Look, that's our speaker. Look at her. Look at her underwear. She wears grandma panties, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing. But it was humbling. And it's like, okay, Father, I am your vessel. Whatever's in my teeth or in my nose, it doesn't matter now because, hey, everybody saw other stuff. So God will humble you. So we need to be careful that our hearts are right before him always. You know what? And it does feel good to know that God has given me a message that blesses somebody's life, his word, his power, his Holy Spirit. And some woman comes up to me in all humility to say, you know what? That word is exactly what I needed. Thank you so much. What a wonderful message. It's like, you're welcome. But you know what? That little sliver gets in there, and you think, wow, that was a good message. Man, Lord, you used me. How exciting is this? And it is. But again, it has to stay in check. It has to stay in check. Whatever we do, it has to stay in check. What are we doing it for? What are we doing it for? Are we doing it for the glory of God, or are we doing it for all the little pats on the back that make us feel good for the moment? So, to be humble. So that transformation in our lives, it produces unity within the body. And that transformation is seen in the relationship that we have with other believers. Paul compares the physical body and the body of Christ to illustrate illustrate the importance of our service. He writes, just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of each other. That's awesome. That really is. And that's a truth that the church really needs to cling to all the more. The lady that you're sitting next to this morning, she belongs to you. You know, and that's exciting. But the lady sitting on the other side of you, way on the other corner, that maybe you didn't even get eye contact with today, or maybe you're glad she's sitting on the other side of the corner. (laughs) 
she belongs to you too. See, God has made us one. His work, his work. Who would have ever thought that the friends you have today in the Christian community would have ever been your friends when you were a teenager? See, God did this. God has made us one. He has put us in the family. So how dare us start to rip apart one another? That's not part of the Lord. So we are one. Christ did this. Every member of the body is important. Our lives as a local body are crucial. I need you. You need me. Because my gift can bless you. Your gift can bless me. You know, we, we need one another. And I pray we would take that to heart much better than we do. I like what Pastor Chuck says. Be thankful that your physical body isn't in the same shape as the church body. Where one eye wants nothing to do with the other because it doesn't see things exactly the same way. At times, the body of Christ must look spastic. (laughs) With its fightings, with its jealousies and divisions. How tragic to see members that belong to one another tearing one another down. Tearing one another down. So, question for us this morning. Suppose everybody in your body served the Lord, served one another, just like you do. How would the church function? If everybody acted just like you do in your church, how well would the church be functioning? I get so grieved because at our church, we need children's ministry people all the time. It's like almost every Sunday here, we need children's ministers. You know, the church is all, mm-hmm. but nobody gets up to go help. Why is that? I don't understand that. You know, I, I've, I went to go fill a need that was not my calling at all. Right now I am serving in the nursery, but I went to go do junior high, and oh my goodness. <laughs> I'll stay in the nursery. But you know what? If nobody answers that call, how is a church going to function or, or minister to the community or be a light out in the community? You know, when the pastor gets up and starts to say, oh, we need this or we'd like to have this or whatever, you see everybody's head go down. Don't get eye contact with me. We should be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Take me. Take me. But we don't. See, God has transformed us, so we're able to minister to the body. So we could be a blessing to one another. So, how are you doing in your service? Christian transformation produces ministry. It's a responsibility of every believer, every believer, to use his or her spiritual gift in ministry. Paul says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each one of us, then use that accordingly. Paul says we have different gifts. Your gift is a God-given gift making you capable to fulfill what he has asked you to accomplish. Spiritual gifts are given to build up the body. And we know uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, we know those. There's plenty of um, passages in the Bible that tells us what the ministries are. Paul specifically is going to go through this list right now, but there are so many more in the, in the, um, in the Bible. Because we can look over this list, mm, not me, nope, not me, nope, not me. I'm free. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> That's not what God's saying. Check out the whole word and find out where your niche is so you can be used by God. So we need to be functioning as one. So uh, God's word and his vision and the gospel can go forth in power. So prophecy says, if prophecy, then you prophesy according to your faith. 
Prophecy is the ability to receive and proclaim a message for God. Now, if you have a gift of prophecy, there are times sometimes that it's a very, when we share the word of God, because we're proclaiming the truth of God's word. It doesn't have to be like in the old time religion things, you know, thus saith the Lord. Because people think, well, I don't have that gift. I can't do that. But no, but we can, as we're being led by the Spirit, share forth the truth of God's gospel. Now, we have to be careful that we never misrepresent what God wants us to say, that everything is according to God's word. But if you have that gift of prophecy, exercise your faith and speak it forth. Because that blesses our local body. That is what God has given you that gift for, to bless others. You can be um, encouraged as he encourages you to speak up, and then you realize that you're being a blessing to the body. Or if it's ministry, then let, it, let us use it in our ministry. Ministry provides practical help to meet the needs of others serving one another, helping one another, not just behind the pulpit. Just because somebody's behind the pulpit doesn't mean they're the only minister in the church. We are all ministers, and we are to minister to one another. And we need to remember that we are servants. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, said in Mark ten forty five says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So how are you doing in your ministry to the body? And again, to your family. You know, do you look for ways that people are going to come and minister to you? I I have a sweet friend that um, he's getting older in age, and he gets really bugged because, well, I called him, and he never called me back. I said, well, maybe he was busy. Can you, you know, make another phone call? Nope, I'm not going to call him until he calls me back. And I'm thinking, but that's not right. Well, that's how I am. It's like, no, but it's still not right. Just because that's how you are doesn't make it right. You know, we want to be taken care of. We want to be pampered. But we are the ones, as God's children, to be doing that to others. You know, and to do it with a pure heart. And we're not keeping score. Well, I ministered to Denise three times, and she only did two, so forget it. (laughs) You know, we do that. In our flesh, we do that. I know we laugh, but that's reality many times. You know what? I've, I've seen that lady walk down the hall, and I've smiled at her three times. And ever once, she has not smiled back to me. You know what? Maybe she's blind. You know, maybe she has a problem with her vision. But we don't take it there. We keep it. And it comes back to pride. So in order to minister the way Christ wants us to, we have to be free of pride. You know what? Humble yourself. If she didn't see you the third time, go up to her and shake her. Hello? You know, let her know that you saw her. Oh, maybe she was in another world. Maybe she just had a traumatic thing go on in her life. Love thinks no wrong. Love thinks no evil. You know, but why are we like that? We are transformed women, and why do we do that? Why? I do it myself. You know, just the other day at a board meeting, I started to complain about this one lady, and I'm thinking, God, shut me up. This is ridiculous. You know what? Maybe she had a bad day. Maybe she felt sick on that particular brunch day that we had, and she wasn't her perky self. It wasn't against me. Why do we look and think everything is about us? Pride. Got to deal with it. And I love that Paul says, deal with that first. Quit thinking you're all that because you aren't. I'm not. You aren't. God is. And that's where we have to keep it. So anyway, I don't know where we got there, but serving. We need to serve one another. And if your gift is teaching, he who teaches, teach. 
Teaching is to understand and communicate God's word in a clear and relevant manner. To be a teacher, you must first be a student, to be a student of God's word. Teachers are faithful men and women who not only teach their, um, the women teach the women or the men teach the entire congregation, but it's also teachers who teach our precious children, who handle the word of God, that they're giving the word of God to your child. So they can look back and remember Miss Jones, how she loved Jesus so much and poured God's truth into my heart. That's a gift that God has given so many great teachers that we need to be more thankful for. Um, Youth group, small groups, some of the best teachers in local churches are not those that preach on Sunday morning. They're the ones that hang out with your kids and show them how to love Christ with the way they serve. So teach if you're called to teach. Exhortation, which I believe that is the gift that God has given to me. He who exhorts in his exhortation, exhort. Exhortation is to encourage, to comfort, and to confront. So there's where I mean. To confront and instruct others. Exhortation focuses upon the application of the truth to everyday life. And that's where... God tells us, remember the mercies that have been, or Paul tells us, remember the mercies that God has so freely given you. So because of those things, then do this. Live out your life like this. He's been so merciful to you, so you start living like this. And that exhortation teaches you and shows you how to go forth in your walk with the Lord. It sometimes pushes you. Sometimes, I remember one time when my um, brother-in-law He's now in the arms of the Lord. But we had gone to Maui one time, and all of the kids and my husband and myself were going up these cliffs because we're going to jump off into the water below. He is deathly afraid of heights. So he goes up, and he comes down. And he goes up, and he comes down. He did this so many times that there was a group sitting around on the rocks watching us, and they're finally going, Gary, Gary, Gary. (laughs) He needed that little push to get him over. After all them, I guess he didn't want to be embarrassed with all of them, so he finally jumped, and he loved it. But that little push, that's what an exhorter does. It gives you that little push to get you going in the right direction. So giving. If you give, give liberally. Just give from your heart. It's to f- supply the resources to help to meet needs. So give with everything that you have. Give in sincerity of heart. In this respect, when one gives, it should be done in simplicity with no ulterior motives or any strings attached. No strings. Nothing. No strings. Are you hearing me? Nothing. So if I give to you and you say thank you and you walk away, it's like, what? You're not even going to say thank you or anything? No strings. Nothing. There was a, a woman at our church who constantly loaned money to her daughter. And she goes, Jeanette, I can't handle this anymore. She never pays me back. I go, well, are you giving it to her or are you loaning it to her? I'm giving it to her. Well, then forget it. How can I forget it? If you can't forget it, quit loaning it or quit giving it to her. God wants you to give cheerfully. And you give to help. Are you helping her? Yes. Well, you know what? That's something you need to take up for the Lord and make sure your heart's right. But that's not fair. Amen. (laughs) Is life fair? It's not fair. But see, God, he checks the motives of our heart all the time. Pride. That pride keeps coming back. So give with simplicity and sincerity. Um, If you are in leadership, 
He who leads, lead with diligence. If you're called to be a leader, don't fluff off. One of the things, one of my pet peeves within my leadership, if a lady signs up and says, I'm going to do this or this is my job or whatever, so I come to the function and her job is not done, oh, my goodness, that's a part of my flesh. It's like, wait a second. You gave your word that this was you and you were going to do it. And now everything, not the ladies who come don't know, but the board knows, now you have dropped the ball. You know, if you are going to be a leader in this ministry, you need to lead. Do and keep your word. Do what you're supposed to do. Do it diligently. Give your best to the Lord. Don't fluff off because you get tired or don't want to do it. You are called to be a leader, then you lead. Leadership is to motivate, coordinate, and oversee others in ministries. Leaders are called to exercise diligence because they are more prone to laziness. You know what? And I know I have found that in my own self. You know, it's like my board can do everything. It's like, "Mm, okay, I'll just come and enjoy. No, (laughs) I need to lead. I need to be there and exercise that um, oversight of them as we are together in one. So be zealous in your leadership if God has called you to be a leader. And if he has given you mercy, so show mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy is to see someone's hurts and gently and lovingly come alongside them to console them. Since God is so merciful to us, we too, as God's people, need to be merciful to others. To show mercy is to care for somebody who is in need or is in distress. And I I have women around me that I just see their heart so tender. God has blessed them immensely with the gift of mercy. They can perceive someone's hurt way before I can. And they're right alongside them, just helping in any way. What a gift that is. I wish I had that gift. Doesn't mean I can't be merciful. Doesn't mean I shouldn't be merciful. But there's a gift of mercy that God just anoints that one, and they fill that need anytime they see suffering. Pastor Chuck says... Uh, With the gift of mercy, you enter into the person's suffering, and then you lift him with the cheerfulness of the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? It's the Holy Spirit lifts him back to where it's supposed to be. So I don't know what gift God has given you, but I do know that he's given you one. I do know that he wants you to learn to exercise your gift. I do know that he wants to use you in the body that he has placed you in to be a blessing to one another, to the pastor, to the leaders. As you submit to the Lord and you submit to your leadership and you take a step of faith to see where you can fit in in the gift that God has given you. And if you don't know, take steps to see what it might be. I know with me, junior high was not a gift that I was jumping up and down in joy with. When I'm asked to teach or to share or to exhort, there's, a, there's an overwhelming sense of joy that God would entrust me with this. And it's amazing when you find your gift, when you know what it is that God has called you to do, how you love it and embrace it, and you can't wait to do it. That's what God wants. He wants us to be eager to serve him and to serve one another. So if you find your ministry gift... I want to encourage you to use it. Bless the body. Bless your pastor and his wife. And bless your father who is in heaven. As he continues to use you and to strengthen you and show you how good he is. And your response to him is to be that blessing to him and to others that he has placed in your fellowship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful again for you, Lord. You are amazing. I ask, Father, that you would help us. We all deal with pride. I don't believe there's any one of us on this planet um, who is completely humble 24-7.
Help us with that, Father. Can we see how ugly our own pride is? We so easily recognize it in others, Father, but it's hard for us to see it in ourselves at times. God, teach us and show us how we can best use our gift to encourage one another to godliness. Father, thank you for putting us in the fellowship that you have. God, I pray that we would be blessed to be part of the church and we would be more open-hearted to see how we can bless them as opposed to seeing what they're going to do for us. God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.